Welcome to Storygram Talk with Kristen and Bridget. This is a show designed to reach out to the Bookstagram community in order to educate, entertain, inform, and simply enjoy all things book-related. Hi, I'm Kristen from My Friends Are Fiction. And I'm Bridget from Dark Fairy Tales. Together we own Storygram. We are going to be interviewing Danielle L. Jensen today, who is the author of Stolen Somberg, Dark Shores, and Upcoming Bridge Kingdom. We are so excited to have you joining us today, Danielle. To start things off, we wanted you to introduce Dark Shores since that was your most recent release. Sure. Dark Shores is about the main character or the main female character uh, is the daughter of a the captain of a ship. And uh, she gets through some decisions that she makes, gets wrapped up in this large Romanesque empire's plot to cross the seas uh, in pursuit of conquest. And she gets uh, sort of forced into an unlikely alliance with a young legion commander who has many, many dark secrets that he's trying to hide and that are being used against him. And they form an alliance across the world, and they are very much at odds, but also very much not at odds at a certain point. So, you know, it is a very political story. It's a very a story full of a lot of adventure, and it's a story that's full of a lot of romance, which is sort of the the trio of things that I really like to include in all my novels. Uh, what research went into writing Dark Shores? Well, I'd say the thing that people are going to rightfully assume that required the most research is that the empire part of the world at any rate is based or inspired by ancient Rome. So you'll definitely get that feel of that when you're reading, although it's not historical fiction. So I definitely like fly off my own little tangents, but I have always been a huge fan of Rome stuff, anything Rome, anything in cinema, on the te- on television, historical fiction, alternate history, all that sort of stuff. So when I started writing it, I had a wealth of knowledge and I also had a wealth of how Hollywood has interpreted Rome, which was in a way the direction I wanted to go because I wanted to take all the grand, exciting, cool stuff and because I'm not writing historical fiction, I don't have to be entirely factual. So I was taking a drawing from a lot of that, of the stuff that we all love about Rome, the scale, the pol- political like backstabbingness, all the, you know, the massive armies, the, I didn't, don't have gladiators in my novel, but of course we all love the gladiator stories and whatnot. So I had this huge amount of knowledge. And when I start to write, I like to write based on generally my own working knowledge of a subject because what I find is if I over research a particular thing like setting or political structure or a currency system then when I start writing it becomes about the thing that I have researched versus about the plot and the characters so it always works out better for me to write research as needed and then go back and do more research to add in the details to make it authentic feeling and fill in world gaps and you know make everything work like my research just tends to come in during the process and then at the end in order to focus more on plot and characters and when I do it the other way around a lot of it ends up getting edited out like in the sequel there is this scene that takes place and 
a, a building, a location that was very much inspired by something that actually existed. And I was taking virtual tours and then, you know, I wrote this detailed scene and it's actually meant to be this like intense action scene. And my editor <laughs> in her comments said that, you know, the scene itself is good, but it read like an architectural tour, <laughs> which was not <laughs> what I was going for. So that is sort of a perfect example of what happens when I over-research. So yeah, I do do a lot, but as needed to accentuate plot and character, not before. Do you relate to Teriana or Marcus more? Probably Marcus. He is an overthinker. He's very much stuck in his own head to oftentimes to his own detriment. And he really focuses on the worst case scenario an awful lot. He's definitely the one I would say who is the most like me, although we are not particularly alike in the whole scheme of things. <laughs> right. <laughs> but he is the way that he conducts himself and the way that he overthinks things, the way that he keeps things to himself because of certain fears that are, you know, innate to his personality. I would say I under have a strong understanding of that. Tariana is extremely, extremely outgoing, very extroverted. I am not at all that way. It's not that I have a hard time writing her, but what she would do is not necessarily what I would do. So I'm, she's definitely a character that I'm not drawing for myself as much as some of my other characters that I've written. But I love her dearly because she does not suffer from the same sort of troubles that Marcus does. If she thinks it, she pretty much says it. I loved how they played off of each other and just their chemistry and everything is just perfect. And I love how they're so so different from one another, but they still find this kind of common common ground between them. I thought it was so incredibly well done. Well thank you. Yeah they're both they're very, very different, very different personalities. But I think that at their core, they have a, the same priorities in a lot of way. They're both trying to protect the people that they care about the most. And they're both willing to do an awful lot to protect the people that they care about the most. So that, I think, is their common ground. And that, I think, is part of a big part of what connects them, as is that they have that same sort of heart. Do you cast your characters with actors or on Pinterest or kind of imagine what they might look like? Not really which I will after the fact sometimes for various promotional tools or because people ask, I'll look to find people who might represent them. It's harder with teens because there's only so, there's only this, you know, there's kind of a, cause they're young. There's only so many um, young famous people to draw from. And so I always end up casting them way older than they are, which I don't like to do. So no, I, they tend to be very much products of my imagination. Although, you know, having seen all these things, I think that your subconscious sort of latches on to the attractive people that you've seen in the media and you remember and you impart those characteristics. I, uh, I don't generally cast that for my fans to, or my readers to cast. As a reader, I have the worst. I never cast anybody when I read. They're just kind of these kind of a sense of what they look like, but I never actually see anything in my head. So it's interesting that, I don't know, some people do. And I'm like, that's so amazing that they can really get a clear visual of what people would look like. I well, can't. one of the things that is really great about reading versus television and movies is, is that I can say, I can give you 
same oh that marcus has like short dark blonde hair and blue gray eyes and you know like that he physically looks a certain way but and that he is very attractive but how he actually looks is created in the mind of the reader so what is attractive to super attractive to one person isn't necessarily super attractive to another person so they can make him that perfect guy or you know people who are interested in Teriana can make her that perfect girl based on the you know the this description I've given whereas if you actually are seeing an actor I think that's one of the reasons why casting especially for love interests is always so hit and miss or people feel so passionately is because you know this one person is supposed to be so attractive and if the actor they choose isn't your type then yeah you're disappointed right so and that's what I've found with putting out my own or, or casting my characters and putting that out there is, is that sometimes people get really mad if I choose someone that's not the way that they envisioned the character. So I'm currently on Instagram. I've been doing character profiles for the bridge kingdom and it's nerve wracking and it will be especially nerve wracking when I have to put something out for uh, Lara and Aaron, because as probably more, more so Aaron as, is that, you know, I've described him, um, audio listeners have heard the description of him as this gorgeous guy. And so it's easy enough for me to find someone who embodies that, but it's not necessarily going to be right for every person. So that is the downside about me putting the imagery out there is, is that sometimes people get really upset if it doesn't match their vision. And they just want to erase that they ever saw that I put this there. <laughs> That's funny. Sometimes people are super dramatic, let's be honest. Yes, but... people, people are, can be very intense about things. So. But, I mean, I guess if they're, like, super into your book and stuff, that's a good thing, though. So, kind of on the subject of The Bridge Kingdom, can you kind of tell us a little bit about that book? Okay, so The Bridge Kingdom is was published by Audible Originals, which means that it came out in audio exclusively, and you can only could only buy it through Audible. And that period, the exclusivity period is almost over, so it's going to be coming out in print and in ebook in August. So it is, I would describe it as a, a new adult fantasy. So it the characters are 20 and 25, so they're not teenagers. There's explicit content. There's some profanity, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, if that's not your jam, don't go this direction. <laughs> but, yeah, I would describe it as that new adult space where it has a lot of the elements, the pacing elements, and certain things that we like, all love about uh, YA, but with uh, adult-level or adult-type plot, adult-type content, I guess, would be how I describe it. Now, as far as what the book is actually about, it is about a princess who has been uh, trained since childhood as a spy and as an assassin, and she is being sent under the false pretense of fulfilling a peace treaty between two kingdoms, but her father has actually had her trained to infiltrate the impenetrable bridge kingdom so that they can conquer it. But she becomes, well, she's married and she, she be, meets the people and comes to know her husband. She starts to question whether what she has learned growing up is the truth. And so it is extremely action-packed, extremely romantic. It's very a romance-focused fantasy. And it was so much fun to write. So I love that book. I wrote it because I needed a little bit of a palate cleanser from writing some of the more heavy material that I'd been working on with Dark Shores, I wanted to just sit down and write something that was so fun 
something that you could sit on the beach and just get totally lost in or sit in the bathtub with a glass of wine and be, you know, swept away for that hour of spare time that you had. So I really, really wrote The Bridge Kingdom for me. And I love that book. So do you think it's easier to write the romance scenes or the action scenes? I like writing both. It's always an interesting question. I, th- I think that I write the romance scenes much more slowly because there tends to be a lot more focus on deep thoughts, I suppose. And those require a lot more thought on my part. Whereas action scenes, you're not really having deep thoughts when you are being chased by poisonous snakes or if you're face to face with a shark in the water and you can't swim, you're not having profound thoughts. You're having survival thoughts so you're what I'm trying to create is like a clip 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 along type feel to it where the thoughts are more realistic of what you would actually be thinking in that moment because you want the reader to be in Lara or Aaron's head in that particular moment in time whereas the romance I have them thinking and you know these are monumental choices and it's not that I want it to be slow paced, but it's a different type of pacing. So I don't I wouldn't say that one is more difficult or easier than the than the other, but they're very different to write, I suppose, would be my description. What a non-answer that is. <laughs> no, no it's a good one, though, because uh, it makes complete sense that I, I mean, when I am reading a romantic scene, I do want the pacing to be slower. And I, I like you do them so well. You do chemistry for your characters and those scenes are just done so well so I like knowing that that's because you're really thinking them out and putting yourself in the characters to what their decisions are so well I'm excited to send you to the bridge kingdom I cannot wait I know we were both like fading (laughs) into uh, fading into darkness scenes you will be there for it all so I'm Uh, all good for that yeah Everything you've said about Bridge Kingdom is exactly what I look for in a book. So, I mean, it's exactly. just like, it's like checking off all of my little boxes. Like, I love this, this, and this. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting novel because I remember when I first started talking about it with my agent, Dark Shores was on submission for the second time. <laughs> and I said, I'm working on something, but I don't know. If, it's not really YA. It's not really adult. And it's not really fantasy, but it's not really romance either. I don't really know what it is. And so I don't really know how we could sell it. And she was like, okay, well, you work on it. And then you send it to me and we'll, we'll see. Cause you know, that's her job. I was working on it and I was loving it, but I was very concerned about my ability to sell it because that space has done so well. That new adult fantasy ro- romance space has done so well by the indie world. There's tons of indie authors who write this and they do a great job with it. There isn't that much in the traditional published world that is the way that the bridge kingdom is because it's hard it's hard to place in a bookstore at the end of the day because it does not fit perfectly into any category so it was extremely fortuitous that audible who i'd worked with for the audio editions of stolen songbird approached us and said you know we're interested in working with danielle on our originals group would she be interested in writing original content and because they are not placing these books on a shelf per se, they can cross market it across all sorts of categories. It was a perfect fit for them. So I sent my editor there, Jessica, she, you know, my, my agent sent her like the first couple chapters of the bridge kingdom. 
And she got back to us right away and said, you know, I, I love this. Can you, do you have a little bit more? And I think I ended up sending her seven chapters and they, they bought it right away. The Bridge Kingdom is a really snappy opening. So they bought it based on that. And it, it's actually been the absolute perfect fit for, for them because they can see what type of reader likes it and then they can market to them. They're just so uh, flexible that way. So it, it was really a match made in heaven for this series. I, I don't think it would have been an easy sell in the traditional world. So selling it to a traditional publisher would have been challenging. And I think that it would have been really hard to market for a traditional publisher. So it definitely landed where it needed to land. How many books have you written, published and unpublished? Well, I have four books in the Stolen Songbird series that are published. And then I have Dark Shores, which is published. And I have The Bridge Kingdom that's published. So that's six published. And then I've written the sequels to Dark Shores and to The Bridge Kingdom, which will be published. And then other than that, I only have one complete manuscript sitting in the drawer that has not been published. Because I do have older drafts of stuff in the Dark Shores world that is complete and not published. But a lot of that stuff is going to materialize in subsequently published novels. So it doesn't seem right to count it as an unpublished novel, if that makes sense. Did I read somewhere that you had been working on Dark Shores, the the world and this, you know, the idea of it for a really long time? Yeah, I started working on it in about 2007, 2006, 2007. It, so that the world is broadly the same, but a huge amount of the plot and the characters has really changed and evolved. So the people who read sort of the first iterations of books in that world will recognize a few things from the sequel, I would say, but it has changed so much that it's not the same story it once was. It's just evolved into something totally different and way bigger in scope. So, but yes, I've been working on it for, I guess that would be about 12 years on and off. I did take breaks from it to focus on my other novels that have subsequently been pu- been published, but sometimes characters, they just like sink into your soul and you can't let them go. Did you query, like what was the first book you queried? The first book I queried was in the Dark Shores world. And I started querying that in 2009. Interestingly, I <laughs> queried my agent, Tamar, with that early version and she form rejected me. <laughs> so I forwarded that query to her after she read, you know, later versions once I was signed with her and I had all these books out with her. And because, you know, I thought it was pretty funny that she form rejected it but she read what I'd sent and she said I would still reject you (laughs) but it led to you writing you're so much better now than you were then so it it does go to show you that you and it's a it's a skill it's not just you know that you start writing one day and you become you're that you're amazing at it you might have an amazing idea but the act of getting it down on the page is something that takes a lot of practice. So it's nice to see that all of these years of practice have resulted in me being better than I was. Did you always want to be an author? No, I have a business degree in finance. So I actually worked in corporate finance for quite a long time before I embarked on this writing journey. So I, I suppose 
I never really, it wasn't that I wasn't interested in telling stories. It was more that I didn't really see it as a viable career path. And in fairness, it is a challenging career path and uh, you don't necessarily make as much money at it as you would in other careers. And it's a little bit less, it's quite a bit less stable than other careers. So uh, it's not for the faint of heart on the financial side of things, but no, I yeah worked in corporate finance, wearing a business suit and doing all that sort of thing. But I didn't like it at all. What advice would you give to an inspiring author? I think it's really good to try and become part of the community, especially with people who are at the same point in their writing career as you are. Because what you find is the people who are really committed with it or committed to it will stick together and progress up. And then at each stage, you have the support network that's growing with you. So that really helps. Even now, like I think about all the people that I debuted with, I was a member of one of the debut group. A lot of my connections are through that. And they're still the people who will retweet me and repost me and, you know, comment on my stuff. Those networks are there. And then also if you need information or favors and whatnot, they're still there for you. Beta reading, they're there for you. So it's really important to, if you can, and it's, you know, the way that the kind of person you are to try and build a connection with the people that are, you know, doing the same thing as you. And then it's perseverance. You have to just keep fighting and, and trying to improve. And if you're the sort of person that gives up easily, it will be a hard path. The publication path will be hard because it's so fraught with rejection and just, it's so competitive. You know, people succeed all the time and uh, it's usually I would say the people who are tenacious more than the people that necessarily just have natural talent. How did you work on your craft? Did you, I mean, talk to other people, study, read books? I subsequently got an English degree after I decided that this was the path I wanted to go on. And I didn't study creative writing, but as part of that, I was writing a lot of things, mostly papers that were being edited and critiqued and graded. That was a lot of help for me as far as self-criticism, which is important, um, self-editing. And I started to look at what I read with a more critical eye, trying to understand what was working for me, what wasn't working for me, how people structured their stories, how, you know, their prose flowed. And I looked for things that I connected with and, and just worked on trying to emulate as a strong word, but to see their work as instructional, I suppose you could say. And then just, you know, I did work with critique partners and beta readers and a little bit with editorial. And the big thing is, is to not blindly take um, critique or criticism. Think about it. Think about how it would impact you writing something different in the future and learn from it. That was my big thing. As is, And it, it still is. When I get copy edits and stuff like that, I spend a lot of time understanding the things that they're suggesting that I change or telling me to change and learning from them. Because if you just accept all, you'll just make those same mistakes in the, in the next manuscript. So learn. I like that. Yeah. Learn, keep learning every, it's always learning. You'll never be, there's never a stage where you stop. Have you found that there's a difference between writing YA and writing adults? Yes. I mean, there's, I'd say, because I am an adult, it's in some ways easier because 
it's a little bit more of my headspace. Now the characters that I'm, I write about in the Bridge Kingdom are younger, significantly younger than I am, but they're not really overcoming teen issues, which is something that I am definitely much beyond. So it is a little bit more natural for me to slip into their headspace. And I worry less about you know, authentic voice and stuff like that, because, you know, you're writing from an adult standpoint. So I know what an authentic adult voice is because it's, it's my voice in a way. Whereas when you're trying to create an authentic teenage voice, you have to imagine yourself or or research or, you know, focus in on the way that young people would behave and act and talk. So there's, I would say writing YA is harder (laughs) than writing adult. And the stories are different. The focuses are different. Uh, the content is different. The way that the characters think is different. So it's just a different feel. But I would say definitely that YA is harder, which is funny because throughout my career as a YA author, I am frequently asked at events whether when I feel that I will be strong enough, a uh, strong enough writer to move on to the adult world. Oh, no. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is so horribly insulting and yet never meant to be insulting. So, but I I get it constantly. When do you think that you'll be ready to write an adult story? What has been the most surprising aspect of being a published author? How much time I spend on things that aren't writing. So you don't really realize when you first go into it how much promotional type work that you're going to end up doing. The way that that has manifest has changed throughout the years. So certainly back when I started promoting Stolen Songbird in 2014, blogs were the place to market and the place that we spent all of our time. And that has changed. And so now I find I do most of my stuff on Instagram and a little bit on Facebook as well, because uh, <laughs> there's my older readers still tend to be on, on Facebook. So I got to be there. But, and I've also moved away from Twitter because I've found that it is necessarily the best place for creating a conversation with my readers about my books. It's a place for a different sort of conversation. But I spend a lot, a lot of time on thinking about how to engage with readers and seeing how things have changed and see, trying new things and seeing what works for connecting with readers. And that takes up a huge amount of my time. And I did not anticipate that. I enjoy aspects of it, but I do enjoy writing a lot. So I would say keeping on top of that stuff is something that I have to be conscious about making sure that I do. What are you currently working on? Once I've written the third book in the Dark Shore series, I'm not contracted for anything. So I'm working on putting together stuff for more novels to be contracted. (laughs) I'll put it that way. So I am working on that, although I cannot specifically say what I'm working on. I start, you usually have to start writing a novel and get a feel for the characters before I can outline a novel because I'm not a natural outliner. So I have to, I have to get a really strong sense of who the characters are by writing them before I can force myself to write an outline basically. When you're writing, the characters kind of come to you first before the storyline, really? Or how does that work? Usually I have a sense of like the instigating event and the plot, but it's not enough for me to commit to an outline. I have to 
start knowing on the, 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 the sort of general sense of what I want the plot to be, what I want the main conflict to be, I write and try and create a foundation. And then the plot and everything, the world grows out of that. It's t it tends to be what happens, although it can be different for each book. What are you currently reading? I am currently reading The Deceivers by Kristen Simmons. And I am reading that in hardcover. And then on my Kindle, I'm reading Amy Bartle's the third book in her series. So I'm reading Rebel Born right now. So that's the second Born trilogy, which is with 47 North, I think, is her publisher. So I'm about halfway through that. So that's what I... And then I am thinking of starting Priory of an orange tree of the orange tree on audio except it's so long i listen to audio in the bathtub but that is like a year's worth of baths <laughs> right it's She's, like what like eight nine hundred pages yeah it's long i think samantha said that it's kind of like three different books put together uh -huh. i've kind of heard that you She's like, if you kind of think of it like that, like it's three little books that are all kind of put together. I haven't read it yet because of the size. I'm intimidated. So. I know, me too. Find big books. It's just that I know that it takes me longer to listen to a book than it does to read it. So I know that committing to it on audio, that that's a lot of hours. I think it's got to be 30 plus hours. So, yeah. So long. I know. So a lot of audiobook listeners are listening so constantly throughout the day that they can get through a book really, really quickly because they're listening while they are driving or doing certain things. But because I really only listen in the bath. Yeah, it takes a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I listen to Children of Blood and Bone, which is also quite a long novel. And so people probably were like, why did it take her so long to read this book? And it was just because the only time I ever was with it was when I was in the bath. And so, <laughs> it, you know, it took me a long time because it was just a long novel. I need to start choosing shorter audiobooks is clearly what I need to do. <laughs> so how do you time manage like with writing and promotion and being a mom and all that stuff? Yeah, so I have two preschoolers. So in order for me to, I met, like my writing career is at this point a full-time job. So I have to have childcare is the only way that it was going to work for me. So my kids go to a combination of daycare and grandparents. So I had up till now had three days a week. And starting in July, we're moving up to four days a week because I was just really finding that that all my time was going, all my spare time was going to writing, which makes for a crazy person because you're never doing anything that is downtime and you feel constantly as though you cannot do anything that's just for you because you have so much on your plate, which most moms feel just generally. <laughs> but so I'm moving up to four days a week and I'm hoping that that will give me enough dedicated time that I can once again have evenings to you know, watch television or read a book or see friends or, you know, whatever I feel like doing. So that's the plan. But yes, childcare, which is not to say that, that you can't do it without childcare, because that's certainly an expensive proposition and a privilege to be able to afford to do it. So you can, it's just, and I have, it's just, it's not, it's not sustainable at a career level where you're on deadline, unless your kids are school age and they're going to school and that you get to get that time there. But, or if you have a partner or family that can help you have enough time. 
but for me, childcare was a necessity. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, cause my kids are older, so it makes it easier because me and Kristen with Storygram, it's actually been more time consuming than I necessarily was originally thinking at first. Like it's awesome and it's been really great. But at times I'm like, I have to have my kids, you know, have something for them to do. And you just have to figure out what works for you. Yeah. Well, and certainly, I mean, I think that on all levels, when they're preschool age, that it's just more child, more of a time management issue because they are more demanding of you being engaged with them at all moments. You know, it's very hard for you to say, go do your thing while I answer emails because they're climbing your legs or, you know, you're trying to be on a call, a conference call with your publisher and, you know, you're two-year-old is howling at you in the background like it's preschool age is just a different level of challenge I think so not that there's not challenges that come with later in life but usually not climbing your legs while you're on a conference call yeah mine's now nine and it is it yeah I can be like go get yourself some food or whatever you know and he's like self-reliable in some ways which is much easier on yeah. a yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't like, I don't want to, one of the things I have other author friends who have um, kids that are the same age. And I think it's part of being a mother that you always feel guilty about things, but just, yes. you know, part of you longs for the days where they go to school and you have all this time to work on, you know, when you're a writer, generally it's your passion. It's what you want to be doing. So you long for them to be at school, but then you're like, I am a horrible mother for wishing away their childhood and I'm going to miss that when they're little and precious and want to spend all their time with me. So, you know, it's just, there's life. It's life is impossible to balance. You just try and, and do your best. And yeah. yeah. And you know, we all have our ups and downs. And I think that the, one of the downsides of social media is, is that we frequently are only sharing you know, the glorious moments, not the moments where you're in tears because you're on deadline and your entire family is sick and then you're now sick and you haven't slept in an eternity and, and yet you're supposed to be creative and you, all you want to do is like run out the front door and <laughs> <laughs> run. <laughs> you don't post that on social. So I think the same for us though, too. We don't post that on social media either. Well, yeah, you, I mean, you have this very, like, I think that you, you know, you, to both show sort of the behind the scenes photos of I guess that's know, true <laughs> of our it seems like you have this beautifully everything is just so perfect and then like you get the wider angle and see that your libraries are <laughs> falling over with books yeah like there if if you don't hear from me it's because books have fallen on me yeah so you know just seeing the amount of work that goes into creating these photos that you do is it's important to show I guess you know what do you do when you do feel creatively like whenever you just have nothing left you just are kind of stuck or how do you kind of pull yourself out of that step away there's nothing worse than watching the blinking cursor and having nothing to give to it so I step away if I really am needing to get the work done, then I will switch to a different medium. I'll work on paper, outline on paper, or write note cards, or sometimes I talk to myself on my phone and like just try and talk it through. I have all sorts of different strategies for trying to get content out of my brain. But ideally, if I'm really feeling like not in a good place, totally 
walking away from the work for a, a while and watching TV is really good. Even now with reading, I tend to not be able to turn off the author me, but watching television, I can turn off the author me. So I tend to go to things like I like to work out or I like to watch television or I like to do things that are totally not triggering the act of author me. And I find that that refills the well of creativity and that when I come back after that, that I have a lot more to give again. I've been at points where the well is so dry and like that panicky feeling where you have, especially when you have a book that's got to be done, it's not enjoyable at all. So I try not to get myself into those situations. I've been lucky. I've been on a bit of a no deadline couple of weeks. So I've, I have been working, but I've been kind of working on what I feel like working on. And I've been watching a lot of television and I've been reading a lot of other people's books and I've been doing a lot of stuff like seeing friends and doing stuff. And so now I feel like I have a bunch of editorial coming my direction. I feel really ready for it and really excited to get back into it. And that is like the best feeling is, is when your passion is like at a hundred percent for what you're doing. Yeah. Which isn't always the case at all. (laughs) I can see that. Sorry to break the illusion. (laughs) No, I mean, I like that you're real and that it, you know, giving that advice because I think people that are getting started in maybe wanting to be a writer don't always see the other side of things, you know, and I think it's good to let people know and be real about it. Well, there's definitely a lot of advice out there that, you know, you have to write every day. You could also be a good partner and a good mom or a good dad or a good brother or a good friend like all these things require time so seeing that your career has that much control that like you that you must every single day I don't see how that's good it's definitely I don't think good good for you but it's really not good for the people around you and fostering the relationships in your life and so yeah could you do that for a little bit yeah. And then when you no longer have any friends, let's see how good you're feeling about, you know, anything. If writing every day works for you, fine, do it. But I feel that so many people who have these, who are trying to fit in, they're new writers, they're trying to fit it in in the space of between their jobs and their families or just their other demands to like try and layer that level of intensity on them is just it's a lie for one, you don't need to do it. And two, it's just, I don't know, it sounds just so horrible. (laughs) So I feel that everybody's process is different and everybody, the way that they approach things is different and you have to find what works for you and not take, you know, these people who put it out on Twitter that you need to do it this way. Like, they're not God. They don't get to tell you exactly how to go about doing it. You do you. And do make the process something that you would enjoy. Because writing is hard. If you don't like it most of the time, I don't know why you would do it. <laughs> because it's terrible money and it's super time consuming and there's like very hard to get a balance. So if you don't like the process and you don't enjoy the act of creating at least most of the time, then... I don't know why you would do it as a career anyway. Do what you love as always my, as much as possible. You can't always do the things that you love, but try to spend as much time doing the things that you like to do and you will be a happier person. 
Thank you so much, Danielle. I, we appreciate it so much that you took your time to uh, do the Thank interview you. with us. Thank you. I do appreciate it. Dark Shores is available now, which we both highly recommend and have read and loved. And The Bridge Kingdom comes out August 13th, so make sure to be, pre-order a copy of it or request it at your library. If you have any questions or comments, you can head over to storygramtalk.com. There's a form you can fill out and hit us up if you have any suggestions on podcasts you want us to do or anything else you want to talk to us about. Just let us know.